Oh, good morning. Chad, I'm going to go back. I'm going to learn from your lesson right here. Okay. Um, real quick, one announcement that we have here is, hey, hi, guys. I love it that we're sitting in the front row. You guys know that I don't spit, right? I mean, well, the guy will tell you later. Uh, you know, one of the announcements that uh, uh, Chad wanted me to mention is our Pathways class. And if you're newer to your faith, or if you want to have a deeper understanding of the fundamentals of your faith, uh, I would recommend that you jump in that class. It's in the bulletin. I think it might be the 15th of May. Uh, it'll be right after service, and there'll be lunch there as well. Um, and it's, it is a just kind of an overview of what our Pathways process is. Um, you will you know, sit down, listen to the general overview, some basic fundamentals, and then if you choose to, you can pair with one of our mentors who can continue to walk you through the process uh, week by week or you know, once a month. But it's an awesome, awesome process to just grow your faith. There are so many things we just kind of go, yeah, that's a, the Christian thing to do. But the Bible is explicit on certain teachings that we, the more we know, the stronger our roots grow in our faith. So I want to encourage you maybe to do that. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to get started. I have a lot to go through. Uh, uh, my hope is that when you leave this room today, uh, a lot of questions will be answered, uh, maybe some uh, inspiration to continue to kind of open yourself up and then learn and grow about this particular topic. So let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you, God, uh, that we get to be here today. We are so grateful that we as a church uh, get to gather together to uh, be a light in any kind of darkness in the world. God, I thank you that you've called us to be a body, a body as one, God, of diversity but yet unity. And God, I thank you that today as we get into this topic, God, that I ask that you just... Um, Speak through me in any way possible to clarify and communicate your character. And then also, God, I ask that you open the hearts of all of us in here and open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, to be more spiritually tuned to what you do day in, day out, uh, with just the sheer fact that your presence is among us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. You, uh, um, if you've been with us or if you're new, we're in this series called The Spirit. We're taking a deep dive in this whole series and exploring the Holy Spirit scripturally, learning more and more about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's so vital because as Christ said, listen, I've got to go so you can have the helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a part of the church age, God's presence here amongst the church. The Holy Spirit's work, presence, influence over the church is vital for the church life and the growth of the church, ultimately accomplishing what God has planned for this world. And so a lot of times I've said this before, you know, the, the topic of the Holy Spirit, it, it's a bit mystical and that's okay. It's hard to reason or fact in the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever found this out about God, he cannot be boxed in. He cannot be defined. And we cannot say this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does and doesn't do at any moment. 
That's why God's given us a lot of instruction through Scripture to really tune in and identify and listen in to who the Holy Spirit is, his function amongst the church. Now, I'm telling you, I'll tell you, like, we have to always keep the balance, and it's hard, is that, yes, we grow in wisdom and knowledge, we grow in scholarship on the Bible, we can read books and books and books about the Bible, but at the end of the day, knowledge and wisdom cannot squeeze out the Holy Spirit. The churches have to be sensitive to this. We cannot just over-rationalize the Holy Spirit or have an answer for everything. Listen, the more you know about Scripture, the more empowered you are, and especially in discerning the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit doesn't work outside of Scripture, at least as far as Jesus displayed it. But we have to make sure that we can't just head knowledge everything. We have to be open. So I want to encourage you just to think on that, especially as we go through this topic, this topic today. I think to me, it needs clarification, regulation, and ultimately recognition. This topic today has uh, caused a lot of divisions in the church. There's a church that we're going to be talking about in scripture that has caused a lot of division. And it's most of this topic's teaching comes from a correction of an abuse that was going on within that church itself. I see churches that, in one of these churches that, that, that really have, as Paul was cautioning what was error within that church, churches have actually fully embraced what the church of that day in the first century was doing that Paul was correcting. So we have to make sure that we know exactly guidelines and understanding, recognition, but also, um, you know, uh, acknowledging the Holy Spirit is here and present. So this topic today is spiritual gifts. Uh, charismata is the Greek word. I don't usually like to use Greek words because I'm not great at any word. So charismata, I just titled it, it's just essentially spiritual gifts. And I think it's just the easiest way to just keep in our mind. And we see the word, like if you think of the charismatic church, it comes from this word, an operation or an openness to the gifts of the spirit. It's a very good thing. I give credit to the charismatic church and charismatic movement that really hasn't gotten a lot of steam until really the 50s of, you know, our 50s. And it, it, it started to just say, listen, we're open. And yes, we've seen a lot of things that we go, that doesn't really line up with the Bible. Yes, that happens uh, without good instruction and order. But in a lot of ways, it's a brave, courageous thing to say, listen, we're open to you, Holy Spirit. We'll let you move. And so I want to give three understandings of spiritual gifts. Now listen, I have been around the Pentecostal Charismatic Church. I was raised Catholic to a certain time. Then we, my parents went to a Pentecostal church, and then I've worked at charismatic churches, denominational churches, non-denominational churches. So I have a pretty good uh, life experience in this topic in particular. One of the things I think that you know, happens is I have encountered the gifts of the Spirit definitely positively and negatively done. Uh, I don't know if you have ever in, in experienced that, but my experience has been, man, sometimes I've wondered, is that God? Because it seems like real different. And then I, sometimes I've, I, right away I knew that is definitely not God. 
And or times where I, I felt like this must be God and it grew something inside of me. You know, there are negative and positive experience when it comes to the gifts. Um, if you've had an, a positive experience, and I'm going to ask this just at the outset of this message. If you've had a positive experience where you said either A, from what you know from scripture, there was a manifestation of the spirit in some way that you were either in, that you were involved in or heard about that had a very much a fruit of what we would say a divine fruit that God did something. His presence changed something. If you've had one of those experiences, if you don't mind or seen it or heard about it, would you mind raising your hand and saying it? It's a very relevant thing, right? We would say, yes, I've, I've experienced this or seen it or heard it. So I think it's so important to re- recognize the positive nature of the, of the gifts of the Spirit. And, but I also talk about the negative, which comes from the flesh. I have seen fake healers. Have you ever seen those? You know, like when they say, I'm going to extend your leg, and then they pull the shoe out, and then everybody watches it grow, and then they collect a lot of money. absolutely an abomination. You know what I mean? But you've seen these big time healers and I I don't want to judge any one of them, but I would say that if they do not line up with what the Bible has stated clearly what the gifts of the spirit are, man, I would question that and, um, or I wouldn't be around it. But I've also seen miracles through a gift of the spirit miraculously. I've seen people healed. And then I have seen people not healed. And then I've seen people operate falsely and, uh, and try to operate that way. I've, I've experienced a guessing game where someone would say, oh, God has a word for you. And then it, they're trying to operate in a prophetic way. And it would be, I can't, I'll never forget, one person sat me down and just said, listen, um, I'm just going to just tell you some things. And they're from God. And I was like, <laughs> now... I don't want to say that to me. I, I think, uh, I'm not very nice when it comes to certain things like this in a way. Like, I'm not going to go along with some things. And so they said, um, you live in a two-story home. And I was like, what does this have to do with God? And I was like, I do. And they were like, mm. All brick. I was like, no. Okay. Does the Pacific Islands mean something to you? I don't know. They're nice. And we just, it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And finally, I said, I got, I got to stop you. Uh, I don't, I'm not doing this. And, you know, in that way, I appreciate their desire and their zeal to want to be uh, used by God in a spiritual gift way. But also, they were out of the bounds of Scripture, so I, I felt the duty. I was a pastor at the time, so I felt the duty to uh, deal with that uh, instantly. And so, but I've also experienced true prophetic work, and to me, personally, that had really ultimately helped change the course of my life. So I can't just discount it all the way out because there's been a few weird experiences, right? Uh, there are offices of, in, in the Bible, which is spiritual gifts. So pastor would be an office, a calling, and sometimes it's just a function, right? And I've seen people say, I am a prophet. I sit in that office, and so prophets are truth tellers. They tell the truth. And I heard a guy say that one time, and I knew him personally, and I watched him also talk about how blunt and direct he was. And I was like, well, you're not a prophet. You're just a jerk. <laughs> you're really judgmental. <laughs> And, you know, so like, you know, we, we have to make sure 
that anything that we claim to be of the Spirit must be Spirit-led. It would manifest in a spiritual way that is outside of our ability, right? Uh, and I've seen even evangelists, honestly, who've amazed me. I mean, I, I have a dear friend who was a fifth Sunday speaker here, and he uh, planted a church, and I tell you what, I could not go anywhere with this guy. His name is Terrence. He's a great guy, and he would uh, <clears throat> be at a restaurant. He'd be, all of a sudden, he'd just stop and be like, um, tell me about your life. <laughs> the, waitress, the waitress or the waiter would be like, uh, and then start talking. And he felt something inside specifically. And he'd say, do you know Jesus? And they'd say, no, but I've been asking questions. I'm like, how do you, how, how, how? Like, how do you not, you know, how do you do that? If I did it, I'd be like, are they going to spit in my drink when they bring it back? I don't know. You know, like there are things where he just operated in that function of an evangelist in its spiritual empowerment. And I've never seen anybody personally that I know more effective than this guy. You know, we would call them manifestations of God's presence. Ultimately, gifts can be a little deceiving, but gifts is meant to be as it's given to you, not earned. It's an endowment of the Holy Spirit for his presence to manifest in a, in, in a way that is unique to our human experience, right? It's a presence and power. The Old Testament, by the way, we, we always want to try to make sure that we recognize that the Holy Spirit is not new to uh, the world and history of the universe. The Holy Spirit was there in the beginning of the creation, an integral part of creation and his function. The Holy Spirit is all throughout the Old Testament. You can go back to our first sermon and look at that. And the Holy Spirit is present in our church age, right? And the function of the Holy Spirit is just a manifestation of the presence of God. And when he is present, things happen in a way. And so you might be shocked, but the Old Testament has just in the prophetic, there's 73 instances of a prophetic utterance, a movement of the Spirit that is completely outside the person and to direct a nation or to direct a specific individual in the Old Testament. There's one really crazy one of one person in the Bible had superhuman strength. Like That's a weird manifestation of the Spirit. Why isn't that one of the gifts of the Spirit listed in the New Testament, right? You know, like, but that's a manifestation of the Spirit. God does not change. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. I don't know if anybody's ever manifested a supernatural strength in the moment that the Spirit empowered them, but maybe Endurance. There's four people in the Old Testament who had supernatural endurance beyond human capability to accomplish what God wanted to do. There's 12 very specific healings in the Bible through the Holy Spirit. Some whole people groups, some individuals, and they range from uh, being barren to having children to actually someone being healed from leprosy. The craziest one was a group of guys had a buddy of theirs die and they threw him on the bones of Elijah in his tomb and he raised from the dead. I don't know if you know that. That's a weird one. The Spirit doesn't do what we think He would do. It's, it's open in its range, right, and how He operates. There are over 150 supernatural documented cases in the Old Testament, and they range, and they're all over the place. Some of them are New Testament-ish. Many of them are not. I don't know how the Spirit operates. 
But I think when we think of gifts, we always want to try to define it and, and, and put it into a box, but the Holy Spirit manifests in so many different ways. So we're going to do three things. We're going to talk about the gifts, we're going to talk about the purposes, and then the pitfalls, and then we're going to talk about love. You cannot talk about the gifts without, I think, these three topics involved. And so let's just look at this. Everything will be on the screen, but if you're taking notes, uh, you'll see my passages up here, but some of these questions might be worth asking. And I'm going to ask three questions about the gifts. One is, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? There are three places in the Bible that speak of them, and I'm going to read all three pieces to you just so you have a full body of it. Now, remember, when Paul is writing about gifts, he's writing to three different churches who have three different experiences, and things are going on in that church that he's addressing specifically. So with Romans, it's the easiest. He's the Romans are new to their faith. They're new to like, you know, the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so he's speaking in a discovery type of language. This is a church that is, I think, newer in its establishment and operation. He's building the health of the community. And so he speaks of it in a discovery type of way. But he lists a few gifts. And he says, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Remember that, grace given to us. Let us use them. So he's encouraging them. When you feel the empowerment of the Spirit in a, in a gift, use it. Don't shy away from it. If prophecy, sorry, let, let me use them. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, meaning that if it lines up with your faith, not that you have to have more faith. If service, then our, in our serving, so there are some gifts of people just have a, a moment, sometimes an empowerment of the Spirit. Sometimes it can be like a resting type of gift or even just the way God geared them that if it's service, serve. If it's teachers, teach. And if it's one who exhorts, uh, it, it, uh, sorry, in his exhortation, uh, if the one who contributes, contribute generously. There are moments where the Spirit comes upon us and says, for some reason, God is calling me to generosity right now. In some way, give. I want to contribute in some way. And, 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 sorry, and the ones who lead, lead with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy or compassion, do it joyfully. These are the fruits of the Spirit. They will display themselves in these ways. And he's saying, listen, if you feel the Spirit's calling or empowerment or gifting in that way, do it. Lean into it right? And then there's the other church. There, so there's, there's some spiritual gifts recognized there. And then there's another church, Ephesians. And Paul's dealing with something different. Remember in our series on Ephesians, he's dealing with disunity. He's dealing with possible division. And he's calling the church to unity. And typically when he writes about spiritual gifts, it's around unity and the body together, right? In Ephesians 4, he's talking about unity and structure, and he says, and he gave apostles, and he gave, a prof he gave the prophets, and he gave the evangelists, and the shepherd, which is a pastor, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the many for building up the body of Christ. So these gifts, these uh, uh, charismata are for structure and building up the church in the church of Ephesians. That's why he lists them out, and they needed those giftings. Now, my favorite one is 1 Corinthians 12, 14. Sorry, chapters 12 through 14. I highly recommend you read it. It's the most extensive, uh, corrective, uh, orderly 
gifts listed out in the Bible. If you want to know about spiritual gifts, this is your section of scripture. I'll tell you what, in this Corinthians, now Paul, when he's writing a letter, you will see spiritual guidance in the writing. So we'll get spiritual truths, but he's also correcting an issue all throughout the book of Corinthians. And he's dealing with a a bunch of people who are beginning to be classist, elitist, separatist, and they are causing such division and strife in the church that people are disheartened to even be there because they feel they are less than and they are not as spiritual and God does not choose them. And it is causing a problem. And Paul deals with this so wisely and head on. But we get a lot of teaching of spiritual giftings throughout it. But let me read the spiritual gifts that are uh, laid out here. And remember, he's dealing with correcting abuse. He's dealing with order, structure, unity, and equality right here. But he says, for, uh, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, meaning like a, a gift at a moment. It could be long resting, I don't know, that has wisdom for a situation in, in, in according to the same Spirit, right? And to another, utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same spirit, a faith that is supernatural in a moment to believe beyond our ability to try to believe, to other gifts of healing by one and the same spirit. I mean, there are some or in moments where there is a, uh, uh, like the Bible calls to lay on hands and pray for someone who's sick. And in moments, in a, in a, in a I would say in a, um, a way we can't understand, God does something, right? And something miraculous. His sovereignty reigns in every gift, though. And ultimately, in verse 10, he says, and others, works of miracles. These are things that in a miraculous way, something has transpired that is just putting everyone at all and builds the church up. And others, prophecy, the ability to distinguish between spirits, right? Knowing how to rightly divide in discernment in a way and another various kinds of tongues and another interpretation of tongues. Now, what you don't know is the number one problem with the spiritual gifts in this church is the speaking in tongues, And speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. We cannot deny that. But Paul is recognizing something that's happening, and there is an elitism going on with their belief in the speaking in other tongues. Now, when Peter gives his address to to everyone at Pentecost, he's speaking in languages that they hear. It's like the reverse Tower of Babel. They're hearing it in their own languages, and that happens in the kinds of tongues that happens. And what he's talking about is not that. He's talking about a personal moment of inspiration in a personal prayer or in a corporate setting where someone feels inspired by the Spirit and speaks in a heavenly language. The brain cannot comprehend it, and he talks about this extensively, but the Spirit does. And if there's an interpreter, a known interpreter, someone who's done this before with that gift that's been upon them, then speak then, otherwise don't speak. And, but what they were doing is going around and everyone would just walk around and talk to each other while they're speaking in tongues. And no one understood anything. There was an absolute misunderstanding and abuse of this gift. There were probably many who just repeated what they had, been, had utterance to say before. I don't know. 
but they would be in a corporate setting and they would all start uh, speaking in tongues and it was for no good because tongues needs interpretation unless it's in personal prayer, which is for building up yourself. And I think that this is a huge deal. Paul spends two chapters hammering this. And if you noticed, he listed the gifts of tongues and interpretation last. Ooh, that Paul, he's nasty, isn't he? (laughs) They're reading the letter. He's addressing it. And they're like, tongues at the bottom. And all the people who've been left out are like, I don't speak in tongues. I guess I'm not spiritual. They're like, yeah, you go, Paul. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there is a clear message he is giving here in how he lists this, right? Who receives them? I'll just be real clear here. Let's read Corinthians 12, 13. It says, for one spirit... We're, uh, we were all baptized into the body. This body language is very important, right? I, I said that wrong. The language of the body is, however I'm trying to say it, the body of Christ in unity is very important. Paul uses this very uh, uh, imagery to try to get people to understand there is no lesser part of the body. All are one and important. The eyes might look down at the pinky toe and go, we don't really need you. You don't really function that much, right? The, 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 the ears may say to the, uh, uh, what is it? What did I have taken out? Your appendix? Yeah, the appendix and say, what good are you, right? There might be a hierarchy forming here, but they were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. This is going on in this church where they are separating classes, possibly even races, and then definitely in spiritual hierarchy, and he's dealing with it. And all were made to drink of one spirit, meaning that when you become a Christian, Paul uses this language that you are baptized in the spirit into one body. And he uses it specifically here, even though he uses the body of Christ and many other, he says you are all baptized into one body body, meaning that you were immersed in the Spirit. You are filled with the Spirit when you become a believer. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Now there are various gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are various services, but the same Lord. And there are ver- uh, sorry, a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now this is interesting. How would you interpret that? I had a real hard time with this. I, 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 I have come to believe that if my very best is that the Spirit can manifest as He wills in anyone, at any time, in any way. And I think this is really important to understand because then I can't go, one time I prayed for someone and their knee got better. And I must have the gift of healing. Therefore, now my identity is built around the fact that I have the gift of healing. And so I then begin to, and he deals with it, become, it treats it more like an idol and that I have this possession of it in a way that now I must develop, I must do, I must grow in, and I must then go around and then try to lay hands and pray for everyone who is sick. It can become a bit of idolatry of which these people came from, and Paul calls out directly to their pagan worship was very similar to that. That's why he's so clear on the Spirit gives it out. You have no power over this. Just like your salvation, you can't hold that. 
The Spirit gives it out. And so he may, in all, in everyone, anyway, use you in some way in the moment that you are needed by God to manifest a gift of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if they rest and stay. It's not super clear in the Bible. But he's saying that empowers them all in every one. The Spirit empowers them all as his will purposes, not ours. Because what's going on in this church at that time in Corinthians is that they're, uh, they're, they're, they're claiming their entire identity around this. So that, that they speak in tongues of angels was really important for them. Because if they spoke in tongues of angels, that meant they, they arrived. They are now communing in the way that eternal heavenly creatures commune in tongues of angels. And so when someone would have an utterance of that, they'd be like, guys, I'm good. So much so that they said this earthly body is no good anymore. They stopped even having uh, intimate relationships, right? This is a problem. They began to go so far beyond what God was trying to intend with this gift of speaking in tongues. Um, how do I get one? That's a good question. I don't think you sign up on a list. You know, you're not waiting in line. You know, you don't have to go to the DMV. <laughs> that would be funny though, honestly. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love, number one, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Through the love of the church and the body and the people, and not ourselves, pursue the spiritual gifts. Meaning pray for God to bring a spiritual gift to you in a way that will glorify him and his purposes. I think that's fine to pray. Pray that you speak in tongues. Pray. Ask God. In our personal prayer time, it, it, there's an edification that happens. The Bible says that God gives utterance to that, though. The Spirit gives utterance to it. So it must be from him in his way for his glory and his purposes. But that's a way to just be open and invite God. How can I be used by spiritual gifts, God, today or however he works in spiritual gifts? Now, remember, these aren't like a personality test. It's not like, okay, you get the gift of healing, you get the prophecy, and that's it. It doesn't work like that. Remember, the Old Testament was 150 different ones, and they varied in their way. And so Paul is just listing out some that have been manifesting so they understand it. The second thing we should look at is now we know what the gifts are. We definitely know how, who receives them. We definitely know probably how to get one or many or however God works. But the purpose, in, there's per, the, let's talk about the purpose and the pitfalls. The biblical purposes are pretty clear. The frailty, the fallen nature of humanity is what creates pitfalls that cause people to back up from this topic. I'm not going to lie. Of this whole series, this is the topic I didn't want to teach. Can I just be straight with you? It's a hard topic. People can get very offended and upset depending on where you land. And so I just felt like God guide me and direct me to the most healthy possible way to teach this topic that ultimately glorifies and represents you correctly. But there are pitfalls to it that make everybody take a step back sometimes. And there are people who take a step forward because thankfully that they're seeing God's presence and honored, his presence honored in a church, which some churches have completely cut that out.
But let's talk about the purpose. Number one, only thing. If you, do, if you see a spiritual gift happening, if it doesn't do this, it is, it is null and void. And especially if it doesn't have love behind it. It is, it is worthless. It doesn't mean anything. And they are meant to edify, unify, and increase the faith of the church body. Particularly the church body. That's what spiritual gifts are for. Paul's very clear on it, and I would say he's the authority uh, next to Christ teaching on it because he's the one who teaches on it. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, So with yourselves, since you are eager to manifest the uh, manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. If it's not about this, then God's not about it. If it's not about edifying and building up the church, if it's not about lifting up the church and building faith in someone, then God's not about it. It's pretty, pretty clear. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let all things be done for building up in the context of teaching about spiritual gifts. They must be for the building up. They cannot be for our ego. Mm. They cannot be so that we feel special. You're special because that God adopted you as his child. You're special enough. But to go outside to feel more special would be an error to spiritual gifts. The goal is to build and uplift and edify the church in, in the way that spiritual gifts operate. So to increase faith and stir up someone right? I think it's so important that we do that. Romans uh, 1.11, for I long, Paul says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, meaning his spiritual gift, to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want to bring my spiritual gift, however God manifested me, to strengthen you, to build you up, not to build my self up. And this is where those differences lead into pitfalls where we get into our own humanity, our own flesh, and then we go down a road that God never intended. I had a pastor one time when I was at a prayer meeting. If we're supposed to build up each other's faith, faith, I had a pastor one time at a prayer meeting, and it was a pretty wild tent. I went to a tent meeting. Have you ever been to one of those? Okay. <laughs> we were about ready to do tent meetings in the park, but it was not going to be like this tent meeting. And I went, and I thought, okay, I was told, to, to, you know, someone said you should go. I went, and I'm, I'm always open to that. I, I try to, you know, ha have some common sense about some things or scriptural backing. And the pastor said well, someone was needing prayer that was sick and dying of cancer. He said, um, don't come and touch this person if you don't have the faith to heal this person. Or this person, you'll kill this person. And I was like... And I was like, I, I can't touch her. I can't. Uh, she'll die. It was insane. Now, I was very, very young and, and trying to understand my faith. And, but it was one of those things where that should be a moment to build my faith, not to qualify to have a certain faith. Right? Man, I'll tell you what. The way God uses spiritual gifts, peace, unity, it should be what encouragement, glorifying God, that should be what manifests from a spiritual gift. 
Now let's talk about the pitfalls. There, there's a lot of them, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to bag on anything too hard. I'm just going to say, let's, we have to understand spiritual direction here and biblical direction. The pitfalls is this, is spiritual elitism, self-aggrandizing, and just plain old kooky. I didn't even know how else to say it. I, uh, I think that we always need to be careful when we see God manifesting in a way. Because if I saw someone say, hey, we're going to throw this guy on Elijah's bones and he's going to come back to life, I'd be like, that's kooky. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know. I, I'm not going to be someone to sit here and try to scrutinize and judge everything, but I'll give us some spiritual, uh, uh, some scriptural direction here. 1 Corinthians 12, 24, when we're talking about self, uh, right, uh, uh, sorry, spiritual elitism. But God has, no, has, uh, has so composed the body, meaning he put it together this way, uh, the body giving uh, greater honor to the parts that lack it. Now, that is just a shot in the heart of anyone who begins to tiptoe into spiritual elitism. God composed the body this way that we should give greater honor to those who even lack it, meaning that your spiritual gift should be lifting that person up, not lifting ourselves up. I, I, I can't believe the, the, the misuse of, uh, of someone experiencing a spiritual gift and what has happened with it when they are not keeping these things in context. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Meaning this is that, well, I have this thing, and so therefore God is using me, and therefore I am more spiritual than you. So yield. <laughs> this is exactly what Paul is speaking against to this church. This is culturally, though, counterintuitive. Everybody wants to feel special. If we had a VIP chair right here, I mean, not there, nobody wants to sit here, but um, back here, and, and it was like we chose, and it was a celebration of you. Everybody were like, I feel so special. Everybody wants to feel that. The encouragement always in Scripture is that, you know how special you are? Is that God moved heaven and earth for you pretty darn special. And our identity needs to be rooted there, not in a pursuit of feeling more special, especially at the cost of somebody else. Matthew 6, 5, Jesus himself says this, and he warns against this type of spiritual elitism or self-aggrandizing, that when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues. Key verse here, where everyone can see them. I don't know about this. I, don't, I have encountered people who have not read this scripture, and they're like, dear God. Like, oh, calm down. <laughs> you know, I've never felt that volume meant more uh, power. Uh, God works very different than that. And anything we think that in our way and thinking that will increase the spirit, God will work definitely in the opposite of that. Man, you know, we don't have to do these things. God says things are better done in secret. God says it's better not even know what your left or your right hand is doing, right? God is very different and counterintuitive to the way we think. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying basically this. is This is, uh, um, this is the humble brag in antiquity here. 
He's getting out there, and people are like, wow, you see that guy? He is really praying. He used some very big spiritual words. Wow. I, I feel sad when I ask people to pray, and they're always just like, I don't know. I don't say like, the right words. I'm like, really? Is there a right word? A secret? doesn't seem to be that way. And he's saying, definitely don't go out and self-aggrandize. That is not what any kind of spiritual walk is like. It's about lifting up the other, not making the other feel less than, right? No showing off. It's a shallow mentality. And in verse 7, a little further, it says, when you, Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble, right? On and on as the Gentiles do, or he, in another translation, said, as the pagans do in their worship. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. And, you know, I don't know if you know this, but um, God uh, heard you. And I think sometimes people will get themselves into a mantra and a chant for themselves in a way, but it's like God's, God's heard, he heard you. He didn't have a breakup and connection there. The Spirit heard you. Um, have you ever heard of this new thing that's kind of around and it's called manifesting? Have you heard of this? You haven't? Oh, you're not watching Oprah then. Mm-mm. It, it really cracks me up because it's, <clears throat> it's a way of putting out positive energy into the universe. Now, if you practice this, I am not here to down on it. I'm here to just say that there's a mentality, I think, even in the way we do things that we can get what we want as long as we say it and we can move the universe to tailor to our desires and what we need. And so this manifesting thing is becoming very, very, very popular. I mean, you know, so popular that Huffington Post wrote an article about it and uh, they said seven steps to manifesting anything you want. And it said, and also even money. And I was like, (laughs) wow. But I had to just give number two of the seven. It's too good. It'll be up on the screen. Once you have your list first, because you make out the manifestations, all the things you want in the universe, it's time to amplify your signal to the universe by asking for what you want. When the universe is clear on what you want to manifest, then it can help you. If you don't ask it, it will still try to help you, but it will guess as to what you truly desire. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> What's going on here? I didn't know the universe guessed, but it does. And I, I just think that there is a mentality that if we, can, if, we, if we just repeat a mantra, if we just put out positive vibes and energies, uh, that's essentially what people were doing with some spiritual gifts or even the way that they self-aggrandize or the desires that they seek or maybe not the purposes of the church. This type of mentality can creep right into spiritual gifts, and we have to guard against that type of thing. Now, if you manifest on your own, I'm, not, I'm saying it doesn't belong in the workings of our faith. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and, and, uh, and all speak in tongues, now this is the big issue he's dealing with, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, Will they not say, are you out of your mind? Thank you, but no thank you. And they're like, no, 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 these are really cool people. And they walk in, they're like, 
I, it hurts my heart to hear this, right? You know what I mean? I don't know. Now, they were very used to this in pagan culture and worship at that day. They would go around their idol. Paul calls them dead idols. And they, would, they cannot hear them. And they would just chant louder and louder and louder. And maybe the idol would answer them the louder they got in unison. And they would speak even in other type of language in their own to their God. And he's saying, oh, man. Paul basically said, hey, I don't want to bring a friend to my church or to your church. It has to be done differently. These are the pitfalls of it when they become a little kooky, off the scriptural rails, so to speak. The character, I think, in how we worship, and this is so important for the church, especially in spirituality and in, in spiritual gifts, the character in how we worship that's on display or within our church displays or at least represents the character of the God we worship. And God says very specifically, I am not a God of chaos and craziness. You cannot look at the universe and the earth and say he's not a God of order. You must look at and say, is the way I'm operating in any spiritual gifting reflecting the very character of God? And if it is not, it is not the right way to pursue it. 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 40, it says, but all things should be done decently and in order. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Gordon Fee said this really interesting thing. He wrote an incredible commentary I love. And he says, he said, it is no great credit to the historical church that opting for order is also opting for silence of the ministry of the many. Meaning this, we can go so much for order, and this is the danger and the warning, that we actually opt for silence. We do not want the Spirit to manifest in the way He wants to manifest in any kind of gifting. It's just better that order is so strict that we refuse in our gathering to let the Spirit do what He does or in our lives. There's a, there's a balance we want to find here. The last thing that would be really fast is love. You know the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians, you probably had it read at your wedding, you know? Did you know that that passage is, yes, it's about love. It's one of the most beautiful writings Paul has. It's almost lyrical in its, in its writing. But this has a very specific purpose why it's placed in between chapter 12 where Paul's going, what in the world's going on? And chapter 14 where he's going, we're going to fix this. And it's chapter 13. And this is what he's letting them know, is that the way you're operating, in your elitism, in the way that you're carrying on with yourself, in the way that you're discriminating against people, and, and, and then just ultimately thinking that you've arrived in heaven, and there's no more work for you to be, to be done, and I have the greater gift, right? And Paul then transitions right to this chapter. And now when you read this with spiritual gifts in mind, now, listen for what he's doing with the word love. But I'll say this, the gifts without love is useless, purposeless, powerless, and empty. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak of tongues of men and angels, which they were saying they were doing, but have not love, <clears throat> I'm a noisy gong and a, and a, and a clanging cymbal. That's what the pagans would do. It was very famous for their worship in this city is they would noisy gong, pat, you, know, you know, bang things, and then eventually, hopefully, their dead idol would arrive. And he's saying, oof, 
you don't have love, you're doing just what you used to do. And two, and if I have prophetic powers, notice he's using spiritual gifts here, and understand all mysteries, now he's amping it up. Even if you're the best of the best of the best of spiritual gifts, and all knowledge, and I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Now this is a shot to the heart of these people. This is a church corrective uh, a measure that they were not anticipating. And he's saying, man, love is the driver. And he's going to tell us why in a minute. He says in verse 3, I give, if I give all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but not love, I gain nothing. Now, verse 8 is where we get it. Love never ends. If you're going to pursue something, pursue what's eternal. If you're going to put something at the highest Put what's going to outlast everything that rests at the very heart of God. And heaven is, is encompassed with love. It exudes love. But then he says, love never ends. But as for prophecies, oh, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, meaning in a spiritual gift of knowledge, it will pass away. But love never ends. He even says that and what still remains would be faith, hope, and love. But even ultimately, he says, but love is the greatest. You want to know why? Because we will no longer need faith anymore, and we will no longer need hope anymore. It will only just be love, because love is what has existed from beginning to end. So he's saying, if you're going to focus on something, speaking in tongues is nothing. It's, it's something, but it's not everything. But love, and this church was not displaying love. They were shunning people from the table of communion because of their class and their spiritual rank. There was no love in what they were doing. And Paul had to correct it and handle it right away. And at the end of it, Paul even said, hey, and he said it straight. All the other churches are in order. You're not. What's going on? You're out of step. And so we get this great, rich teaching on spiritual gifts because of Paul's correcting a specific church, particularly. We're going to take communion right now, and I just will say this. This sermon of, of spiritual gifts and our understanding of spiritual gifts is such a great, uh, I think, theme for what communion is. Now, it happens to work out really well for Communion Sunday that we're talking about this because one of the things Paul was dealing with is their um, classism and their spiritual elitism at the communion table, and he corrects them deeply. And he says, are you kidding me? People are being turned away from communion because they're poor? He's furious. And he says, one will, one will not eat because they're poor, but one will get drunk at communion? What is going on? He says, do I support this? Absolutely not. And he hammers them right away. What he's further doing is, though, is revealing a very important theme of communion, which is communion is about unity and a unity of diversity. We all need to drink from the same spiritual cup, like Paul says. We all needed to be baptized into the Spirit when we were saved and, and, and filled with the Spirit. We all needed salvation in need. There is no great ranking amongst churches. I have no spiritual, I think, uh, a specialness about me over you. I've been given 
a, a, an office in the church, and I hope that there's some giftings operating and that I can use them. But there's no difference. I'm not more spiritual than you. God doesn't look at me as someone who is greater than you, and I should never do that either. What they're doing in this church needed correction, but it really helps us understand diversity and unity, and they belong together. The more diverse the community is accepted through love, the more unity happens when they stay to love. I'll read it right here. 1 Corinthians 11, and this is the reveal. He says, when you come together at the church, I hear that there is division among you. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is a big deal for Paul. And I believe in part there are more factions among you in order that those who are, gen- who are genuine among you that they may be recognized. Meaning this is that there are divisions and factions among you. And he's talking about the communion table here. And what in the world is going on? God is not a God of division. So when we take communion or when you have your communion, just remember the person to the left or the right of you, person behind you all the way to the back, we are a very diverse group of people. We have different backgrounds, different lives. We've experienced things different spiritually. And we may even have different spiritual endowments at moments in our life or resting upon us. Different offices that we're called to, different functions that God has dulled. Something great he's given. And I, I would say that ultimately at the end of the day that it's the diversity recognized and appreciated through love for building up that actually creates unity in a powerful way. I don't believe our world understands these days. And so uh, my call to you is when you take communion today and Jesus says, this is my body and it's broken for you, meaning that your atonement is, is because of this sacrifice and I live this life and display for you. And this is my blood of which was shed for you, that you have spiritual recognition in heaven and adoption permanently, and the Spirit can rest in you. This is through this. Now, when you eat, remember these things so you do not forget. And this community had forgotten, and Paul reminded them. I would love to teach an entire, this entire book one day. Maybe we'll, we'll as a church, of 1 Corinthians. It's very important, and it's a very good book. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and we're going to uh, take a moment and, and take communion I don't know if you have them already or. <laughs> we'll take it next week. You had a really good setup. It's the first uh, Sunday, isn't it? Okay, all right. Well, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much. And God, maybe as we go home and as we eat lunch, God, we take our moment of communion there. Although we may not be able to do it corporately, God, we, we can do it individually thinking of the corporate church in mind. And God, we as a community um, just want to recognize and thank you for your powerful message of unity, your powerful message of of diversity that edifies the church. And God, I just pray that each one of us, as we walk out, we have a greater understanding of the spiritual gifts. But God, maybe we, something sits on our heart and we, and we want to look into it more. We want to pray a little bit more about it. We want to seek you a little bit more, God. Or maybe you just kind of, if there's been judgments that have, that have been against others, God, that maybe you work on our heart in that area. Maybe love can reign in our heart in that way, God. Maybe we can see people differently, God. And maybe in our church, that there be no difference, but only equality under the banner of the cross. 
So we love you and we thank you. We desire your gifts, your spiritual gifts, more and more and more in our lives and in our church. And God, I ask that you just help us tune our ears to you and give us eyes to see. We love you, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with us and sing this last song?